Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is the Drive and Dish Podcast. 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 Talking about NBA news, stats, and fantasy. To start it off, it's Tim Tompkins. The counterbalance to the death lineup isn't putting Durant at the four. It's putting Robertson at the four, which the entire time I've been railing on Robertson, I've been saying it's because he's not a shooting guard. Kevin <laughs> Rayfuse. good, but I don't want to be stuck in the limbo of mediocrity. I don't want to gamble that maybe one day there's a Harden trade out there. I don't want to gamble that some team is going to be stupid and let a Steve Nash walk out the door and go to Phoenix the way Dallas did, where you stumble upon a superstar. And Justin Kuzak. When you're taking away driving lanes from LeBron James, that's going to really, that's LeBron's thing is, is he's just beast and he gets in there and Bo gets down there saying no and, and, and causing some problems and at least just getting in the way, which usually helps. Well, if you like that, you're going to love this. Well, if anything, this is the point where we all sit there and get real excited. Let's do this! Let's go. So last weekend, Tim, Justin, and I went out had a few adult beverages among a group of our other friends. We attended some of the local watering holes. And, you know, for the most part, I'm not a huge picture guy. I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I like pictures when they're taken, but it's like one and done. I don't need any of the extra frills or any of that. It doesn't need to be any time we're going out. It's just kind of if the moment strikes thing. But it brings up the question, because there was a picture taken last week. It was me and my friend Ricky. Ricky was going away. And we just look horrible. Both of you. Yeah. There's no way around it. It's, it's just an awful picture. So obviously I'm not going to post it on social media. But it made me think because I remember there's an infamous picture back in the day. It's not of me, but it's of one of my friends that I'm not going to get into where the one person looks great and the one person just looks like absolutely horrible. Just totally drunk, clearly obvious via their facial expressions just struggling hard. And so the question I, I guess I'm going to ask you, Tim, is are you a bad person if you post a picture of someone where you look great, so you wanted to go up, but they look horrible? I don't think you're a bad person. I think the way to go about it is to post it anyway because it's always really difficult to get. Like, out of how many pictures do people take that they get a really good one? So it's, it's not a lot, and probably most pictures are something a little bit wrong. You, you're yeah. not wearing the right shirt. You're looking down. Your, your smile isn't spot on, whatever the, the picture happens to be. But I think as long as you tell the other person that you think they look great when they complain, that it makes it okay. 
or you don't tag them you can post it and not tag definitely them. not tag them. i feel like if you tag somebody or you it's like go out of your way to highlight it then you're kind of a bad person i mean the tag may be inadvertent like okay you can let that slide but if you go out of your way to highlight it i think you're a bad person but here's like here's a question would you be more bothered say you knew the picture looked awful just say you could tell that night could tell during the day whenever it was taken that it looked awful would you be more offended if they posted it or if they cropped you out oh cropping out of the picture that is a that is a that's a tough one i'd be more offended if they cropped me out especially if it like let's say you happen to be out with a with a date right and you two took a picture together and she cropped you out and just kept herself and put it up. That's cold-blooded. Yeah, it is cold-blooded. I've, I've had women do that before, oh. too. Oh. That hurts. It's just like it hurts my soul. Yeah. What did you... Was it like a profile? Like, I know one girl... Yeah, it was a profile picture. Like, I know one girl who will crop anybody, regardless of who they are, out of, their, out of her profile picture. And she says, it's my profile picture. And nowhere else we're always going to focus on you. The Drive and Dish NBA podcast. My name is Kevin Rafuse. Joining me to my left, my co-host, Tim Tompkins. I'm still pretty sure that the ball doesn't lie. If you haven't noticed by now, too, uh, usually he's behind the boards, keeping us honest as always. So he's not here. So I guess we're going to lie all episode. Our producer, Justin Kuzart. Gaty. Is this a midweek? Yes, this is I guess it is a midweek. Yeah, yeah so it, it would be a giggity episode. Uh -huh. I, he hasn't done giggity in a while. No, I don't feel he, like he, he hasn't. Um, so anyway, Justin, this week, it turns out that he really likes to help the elderly. Yeah, he's he really gotten into. I, I think he saw some documentary about elderly care in America, and right. he's just been really inspired since then. Well, especially because what happens when you get old and elderly is you forget how to take care of children. So it turns out that there's camps all across the United States that people send their elderly grandparents to to teach them how to be grandparents. And Justin is at one of these camps right now teaching elderly people how to give CPR. Did, and he's doing this for free. He's a man of the people. I mean, he, he, was, he was in Flint about a year ago or a few months ago, and now he's out here helping the elderly. I mean, what a guy. I mean, the difference is like, when Justin leaves the episode or, or leaves the podcast for a little while, he's always out there doing something, whether it's like you said, helping the poor people of Flint get the lead out of their water. Or well, he's protesting. Or, right. Let's, let's slow it down a bit. Okay, let's, well, not get, let's not make him like freaking a Superman out here. Okay, well, protesting or in this case where he's he's helping the elderly make sure that they don't kill any children. But when you go on vacation, you go to breast camps where you get to know yourself. Oh, that was two years ago, and that was not remotely accurate at all. I don't, I don't recall any of these events. It, it, no one was the worst about that. You said that was in Portugal, and I had a Portuguese listener hit me up and is like, yo, I hear you were in Portugal, and I'm like, no, no, no. None of this is accurate. People <laughs> um, should know to take – people can't take this seriously anymore, right? No, I know they do because that's what Justin's doing. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's one thing as a listener that you can do that really does help out the show, and that is to leave a review on iTunes because the way that iTunes ranks podcasts is, as far as like if somebody searches for NBA or whatever in their podcast app is essentially it's by the amount of reviews you get. So it really does help out the show. And this week we have a really fun one. Yeah, it, it, well, it is a really fun one because we say we read all the reviews, whether they're good and bad. And we've been on a roll, got a lot of great reviews for you guys and a lot more to read coming up. But every once in a while, you get a bad one. 
And usually, for full disclosure, we make a point not to well i read them because i i archive them for the show but I, tim and justin make a point not to read the reviews so the reaction is actually natural in this case you know we're, we're out here this is i i gave tim a heads up i said hey this review's about you so tim doesn't know what it's gonna say but just get ready pal because this is a one star review unfortunately oh Bringing um, our iTunes ranking down, man. Four yeah. and a half stars. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, that's not good. We yeah. should have. Well, it's kind of ridiculous, but we're not going to get. We can talk about that later because we have like 87 five star reviews and like three four stars and a couple of ones. Yeah, we have four and a half stars. You know what bothers me, though, is that they show the one star reviews at the beginning of the search. Yeah, that too. Like, that really irritates like, me. Really? Right? <laughs> like, 87 good ones, and you, you pick the three bad ones? And you put them first. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> iTunes, come on. Help, help some podcasters out. But anyways, this is a one star review. Like I said, it is titled The Phoenix Suns Fan. That would be you. By Kid 13 So already this is ironic because Jason Kidd played for your sons. Yep. He's part of a pretty legendary trade, him and Marbury. Yeah. But anyways, the review says, might be the most annoying human on the internet. The other two guys seem pretty all right, but I got through three or four episodes before I couldn't take the annoying one talking any longer. <laughs> You're the the most annoying human on the internet is a hot take. We should that almost should have been in the Reddit section. Well, like I don't really post all that much on the internet. I tweet a little bit. You tweet a fair amount. Yeah, a fair. Mostly when I'm at work though. Like when I'm at home and not really tweeting all that much. Right. So like the tweeting you're seeing is just because you happen to be sitting in front of Twitter while you're at work as well. <laughs> you know, uh, apart from like scheduled tweets or sometimes when there's an NBA game. But you gotta take pride. At being the most annoying person on the internet. That's a that's a title. You should get a trophy or an award or something. Tell me something I do not know. Do not know. Now. If you do not know the present, how can you claim to know the future? Now on NBA News on the Drive and Dish podcast. We need to know now. And for your news today, game four of the NBA Finals is tonight. The Cavs enter the game as a two-point favorite. Kevin Love is expected to play, though he is also expected to play a reserve role off the bench. The Grizzlies will hire Keith Smith as an assistant coach. He's been a Miami Heat assistant for the last two seasons. A change to OKC's assistant coaching staff as well. Billy Donovan will add Adrian Griffin to replace Monty Williams. Griffin was with the Magic last season. Monty Williams told the team OKC he would not return this season after losing his wife in a tragic car accident a few months ago. The latest in the Kevin Durant free agency rumor mill, Durant and Harden are hanging out this weekend, though ESPN says the Rockets are not in the mix for Durant. It's widely believed that Durant will sign a two-year deal with OKC, player option for the second year. Mike Conley, who we talk about later on in this episode, is said to be more comfortable exploring other options for his next contract than the Grizzlies are comfortable with. And Jazz fans, word on the street is that Jazz might be the one team most interested in trading that middle-of-the-road lottery pick they have. But you never know. Maybe they'll just go after Mike Conley in free agency. The Jazz really need a point guard. NBA Summer League is less than a month away. And the Drive and Dish podcast just received our credentials for it. The Orlando Summer League, that is. Not sure why I'm putting it in the news, but yes, it is news to us. Orlando Summer League, here we come for the second year in a row. Mm, something.
Want to take a second to talk to you about our wonderful sponsor, SeatGeek. Every time I come to talk to you guys about this, I, le I legit open it on my phone, open the app on my phone, and I'm blown away by how easy it is to navigate around this thing and find concerts and stuff like that. It uses your location service. So right at the bottom right now, it's telling me events near Jacksonville, Florida. And you got you got Miranda Lambert's coming. Like all these crazy concerts are coming and they tell me the price before I even click on it. Like I can go see Miranda for $71, but you can also add stuff to your track list they tell you new things you can even search by performer or events i still have the new orleans pelicans saved in there uh, obviously there's no events for that because uh, they didn't make the playoffs now what will happen once you click on the event it'll show you specific spots around the stadium that are best they'll be uh, green if it's a good deal it'll be it'll be yellow if it's an okay deal and i see a few on here actually for miranda lambert show that are red those are not so great deals once you click on the button once you click on the button it'll show you a price that's the price it will be when you check out there won't be any random fees added or anything like that so what you can do to show SeatGeek that you like listening to the driver dish podcast and that uh, you support us download the app go to the me tab in the bottom right corner of the app and when you do that you'll, you'll have the option to enter a promo code when you enter the promo code d-i-s-h they will hook you up with 20 dollars off the show it's a great way to show them you support us it really helps us out we help you out with 20 bucks everybody wins that's the SeatGeek app and if you're having any trouble remembering this, just go to driveanddishpodcast.com. We have a sponsors tab, and it'll walk you through it there. So over the course of the, the week, the last week or so, the NBA Finals, it was just everyone was getting so hot takey on the series and that it was done and that and that the, the, the Warriors were going to sweep and it was going to be 4-0 and it was, was going to be the worst finals ever and of all time and how awful the Cavs were and blah, 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 whether you're listening to podcasts or satellite radio or sports radio. The fact is, is that Game 3 was a do-or-die game for the Cavs. Well, the Cavs have done and the Cavs are living. Yeah, no, this is, this is great. Um, you know, I'm... Get it? Do or die, but they've done and they're living. Dude, Tim, Tim was so excited. He, he said to me, we, we were going to record this, and they said, I have a prepared statement. And, and I'm just, like, laughing. Like, he's, he's the president on an election cycle right now. He's got a prepared statement. Like, he's about to announce, like, somebody got fired from the podcast or something. But anyways, no, I mean, I'm really excited about this. More in the sense that, like, holy crap. I thought, if it, I mean, if it goes up 3-0, the series is over. There's no way the Cavaliers are coming back from four straight to win, to beat the Warriors, who were, you know, we talked about the record a billion times. The only thing that's been disappointing is that something we've been talking about is, like, I'm glad Cleveland won to make it a series, but really another blowout? Are you kidding me? They won by 30 points. The 63-point swing between games two and three is the biggest ever. So the stats have been coming out, and I think we, we talked about this a couple of episodes where there's been something like 20-point 20, 20 uh, differentials so far in the NBA playoffs, and this is now the 10th 30-point uh, differential. So we're just looking at, like, Blowout after blowout, which is really uninteresting basketball. When you're, I feel like basketball maybe is worse than some other sports where when it's a blowout and it gets to garbage time and it gets to garbage time in like the third quarter, although game three didn't get to garbage time until like the fourth quarter, but it's just not really interesting. Like I don't think that we've had a single buzzer beater game in the playoffs, and I could be wrong. But I don't remember having a single buzzer beater game in the playoffs. I feel like we have to. There's, I feel like there's one I'm missing. There might have been one with the with well, the Portland. Well, series. the the um the Cleveland Atlanta game 
the fourth one when the when the Cavs closed out. It wasn't a buzzer beater, but the Cavs had a bucket with I think it was like three seconds left, two seconds left. Yeah, and I mean that's 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 close enough. And I was trying to figure out why there's been so many of these blowouts. And so I think a lot of it has to do with the three point shooting where it's it's kinda like now the three point shooting has just become such a predominant place in the game where it's like when you have two gods fighting, right? So you have Thor over here and you have I don't know Zeus over here and they're just when one of those uh gods is punching the other the other one's like flying through buildings right right and that's kind of how it is with the three-point shot and when a team's on with their three-point shot is you're just getting these massive swings and I almost wonder if we're getting to a point in basketball where the three-point shot is making what would otherwise be competitive games uninteresting or uncompetitive I don't think it's that I just it's something we, I mean I don't want to cause it as a or just diagnose it as a major problem because this is the first year in the past few where the playoffs have just really been disappointing and they've all been blowouts. I mean, last year's final was more competitive and last year we saw a much better series throughout. We've seen competitive series in these playoffs, though it has felt really lopsided at times. I mean, you I just it was so unexpected. Even when the series is series is if, that, if that's a term. Siri. Yeah, even when this the Siri were close as in they were seven game series or there were six game series it was still a lot of blowouts even in those i mean if you look at the i thought the thunder warriors was was a wonderful series but a lot of those those games weren't really all that close and when you when you take it to the finals you have the first game that was won by 15 the second game that was won by what 33 the third game that was won by 30 albeit by the Cavs. but it's, it's just getting to this point where it's blowout after blowout and it makes it really hard to get into it it's not a great product i mean the fact of the matter is these finals have been so far three games in some of the more disappointing finals that i can remember in recent memory even the playoffs in general apart from oh these playoffs have been awful uh, apart I, I really felt like the thunder series uh, against the warriors was really good and I, I thought that that was really epic and it was really good games and i agree with you that some people are saying that top five game of all time like get out of here no it wasn't but it was still really good. But it just the, the playoffs in general have been kind of eh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're just a lot of sweeps, a lot of just a lot of bad basketball. And even this series. See, I don't even know that I agree that's bad basketball because if you look at the, like the Warriors when they were winning or the Cavs when they were winning, the teams are playing really good basketball. Yeah. It's not bad basketball. But the other team is really, playing really bad. Eh. Again, I wonder how much of that has to do with. Just the, the, the power of the three-point shot. But do you feel like either of these teams in this final series have been at their competitive best? No. Right. I mean, and that's my basically the point. Like, I, I flash back to the Spurs-Heat series three years ago, the first one, not round two. God, that was so good. Where it was just both every single night you knew they were bringing it. It just wasn't, it wasn't like they were playing badly. Like, it just seems like one team is playing their game and playing well, and the other team is just so off, and it just it goes downhill so fast. I mean, seriously, when was the last intriguing moment of Game 3? The second quarter? Well, it was, it, I think they got it down to single digits at one point in the second quarter, but after that, it was, I mean, they it was blitzed them in the Clay first. Clay Thompson got need. Yeah. Which, can we talk about Clay Thompson's yeah. comments? Yeah. Clay Thompson Please. is going out of his way to say that he thought the Mozgov play was a little dirty, but it's just basketball. Are you kidding me? Dude, when, you, when, you got, when you got Ninja Warrior Draymond Green on your team, just like kicking people in the head, the shoulder, and the groin, and the balls. I guess we're allowed to say balls because it's a podcast. Kicking players in the balls, kicking players in the head. Don't talk to me. 
about dirty plays. Not when that guy's on your team. And I felt the same way about Delhi last year. It's comparable to if the Warriors were complaining about teams setting illegal screens. Yeah. Well, and it's just the question. Because, I mean, it's just like, really, you guys are up 2-1. It seems like, I mean, it's almost like you're giving them an edge a little bit. Like, you're. it, it seems like, I'm not suggesting this, but it's a comment that makes it seem like they're in your heads. And it's like, look, I know you just had a bad loss, but the Warriors are up 2-1. At the end of the day, Game 5 and Game 7, if needed, are going to be in Golden State. So they, it, it shouldn't be a cause for alarm. I'm glad this is a competitive series again. I'm glad, is it a know, competitive series again, though? It could be. If the Cavaliers win Game 4, sure. If is the it? Warriors go up 3-1, then yeah, I think it could be over again. But at least it, it makes Game 4 intriguing, which we is great for us because we finally get to you know watch a game during normal hours on a, on a Friday night, the NBA schedule makers aren't cursing us this time around. But I, you know, if it go if if the Warriors win Game Four, it's over. I'm willing to go that far. The Warriors win Game Four, it's over. I, there's I just can't see the Cavaliers doing what the Warriors did last round, especially with two of them in Golden State. It would really take an incredible effort. But all of a sudden, the Cavs win Game Four. We got a best of a three game series. I mean, I agree with you, Tony. So what's been kind of surprising to me about, about this, this series and uh, these playoffs really in general has been how un-MVP-ish Steph Curry has been. Yeah, it's, it's a thing now. Steph Curry is averaging, he was averaging over almost 30 points a game in this playoffs, and now he's averaging 18, I think. You mean 30, 30 during the regular season? And 18 right. in the playoffs, right? But then you, I was thinking about last year too, how Steph Curry was a bit underwhelming in the finals as well. Do you see? I don't think Steph was underwhelming. I don't think he was the. You didn't dom- think he was underwhelming? Eh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as to say underwhelming. I think he was good. I don't think he was like, oh my god, MVP, best player in the world type deal. No, I mean Iggy won this series MVP, and I, I feel like when you're talking about somebody that just won the MVP, that that should be a closer bat. Like right now, if the Warriors were to, if if the Warriors were to go and let's say win game four and five and Steph Curry continues playing this way, I don't even think that he could be in the discussion for finals MVP. We're talking right now. Yeah, if he kept playing the way he's playing right now. I was going to say, because going back to last year, I thought, I mean, Iggy also got the help that the Cavaliers were kind of looked at as a one-man army last year, rightfully so. And Iggy had the task of guarding LeBron, so I think the fact that he was able to limit him, which truly limited the Cavs because of all their injuries, I think that got Iggy a lot of attention too. So I don't want to, I don't think last year is as much with Steph Curry, but this, yeah, I mean, it's noticeable this year. And Steph Curry's hurt. Like, let's not mince our words here. Steph Curry is hurt. He's skipping the Olympics. That knee is not close to 100%. I think it's it's painfully obvious to anyone watching the game. Now, granted, I'm not writing that as an excuse. I'm not giving Golden State that way out because everyone is hurt at this time of year. I think everyone that's stepping on the floor right now has some kind of injury or pain or soreness that they're dealing with. I mean, LeBron's you know, you look at their best player, LeBron, he's played like 46,000 minutes in the last six years. You know, you don't think every part of him hurts right now? Well, I just don't like the the being hurt argument. And it has to do with us taking, uh, making excuses for players when they're playing badly, but not giving due credit to defenses that are working really hard to ensure that those players are playing badly. The, the Cavs, if they've done nothing else right through this series, is they have really limited... Steph Curry 
and Klay Thompson to a certain extent, not quite as much as, as they have Steph Curry, but they've basically said that the Warriors role players are going to beat us. It's not going to be Steph Curry. It's not going to be Klay Thompson. And to that, they have done a really good job. And the Thunder did a really good job against Steph as well. Yeah. And how much does that play into it? And I feel like we're, we're taking – we aren't giving due credit to the defense that's being played on these guys. Well, and I think that's the th- the main theme of Game 3 that I want to talk about and where we need to give credit to the Cavaliers. I mean, the Cavaliers' offense got a little bit back in sync last night, but it was their defense. They turned up from the tip and the get-go of that game. They turned up the intensity on defense, played a- an extremely focused effort throughout. LeBron James is a ball hawk. He was everywhere. Kyrie Irving was up on Steph Curry the second he crossed the midcourt line. You know, and LeBron, you saw LeBron guarding Draymond Green, you know, one of their best players and arguably their engine and really going after him and shutting him down. I mean, we're talking about I think he ended up with he, 12 he, points on the night. It was either 12 or 16. Uh, I'm blanking right this second. He shot two of eight, I believe. Right. But either way, you got LeBron playing him. And it, it was tough. The Cavaliers were all over the floor last night. They were anticipating passes. They were getting out in transition. The Cavaliers wanted it more last night, plain and simple. The Warriors were flat. The Cavaliers put in one of their best efforts of the playoffs. And that 30-point game was, I think, indicative of the effort level. Steve Kerr talked about that afterwards. The Cavaliers just came out and blitzed them. And it caught the Warriors off guard. And by the time they knew what happened, they were already down 20 points. Well, especially when you're talking about rebounding. So if... if one thing I've noticed about when the Warriors lose is when they get severely out-rebounded by the other team. And you can go back to the, the Thunder series against the, against the Warriors. And when the Thunder were 20-plus on the boards, the Thunder were winning. If we go back and we look at Game 3, the total rebounds is Golden State Warriors had 32 to Cleveland's 52. But if you look at that, is that offensive rebounds, the Golden State Warriors had 8 Tristan Thompson had seven alone. Yeah, Tristan Thompson was huge last night. He had, I think he had uh, 14 points, 10 rebounds, really a force on the offensive glass. And, and I think a lot of that harkens back to LeBron going on Draymond Green. Well, LeBron going on Draymond Green, that basically allows Tristan Thompson to just kind of hang around the rim. And you know we say this all the time on the podcast. Tristan Thompson made $80 million because he can offensive rebound. I mean, and that's where he was successful last year. It's his bread and butter, and I think that was a really good adjustment by the Cavs. I also think they made some good adjustments, and I don't. We're going to get into the love stuff in a sec, but I think they're on to something. The key to beating the Warriors last year was ding them up. That's how they won two games, and I, with some of these smaller lineups, I think they're up to something. Well, I mean, they started Richard Jefferson, so I'm not sure how defensive-minded. I mean, obviously that the 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 Cavs there. Their switches were a lot better. Uh, their defense in general was a lot better. Their their rebounding, their their blocking out, their um, covering the three point line was a lot better. Uh, LeBron was great. Irving was a lot better than he's been. Well, Kyrie Irving is just. I mean, th- this is the game that he needed to shut the critics up a bit. Thirty points. He was really aggressive out Eight of the assists. gate. Eight that's, assists. That's the number. So so LeBron in the post game in the post game conference was talking. He said, "My floor general on my right," and I think he he was talking about Kyrie Irving, and I think. He said that intentionally because Kyrie Irving needs to be a floor general. I struggled to myself when he said it, you know, because Kyrie Irving finally got eight assists. But I went back and I looked at the amount of passes Kyrie Irving actually had, mm. and he passed the ball 20 less times in game three than he did in game two, but yet he had eight assists as opposed to 
three, I think it was. Yeah, and a lot of that's ball luck, but a lot of it is smarter passing, and it's a better ball movement allowing people to get better shots. The other thing that I liked about Kyrie Irving is he was aggressive from behind the arc right away. A lot of these times in game one and two, he'd dribble out, and we know he can get away with that with his handles, but he'd kind of dribble into trouble and then would take a bit of a contested jumper. Here, he was aggressive. He knew what he was doing. He was assertive. He really, I mean, he broke down Steph Curry about two or three times early. He set the tone. Kyrie Irving needed that game. J.R. Smith needed that game. Welcome to the finals, J.R. Smith. I mean, we're, we're talking about these guys. At, at one point in the third, the Cavaliers had zero bench points, but were absolutely dominating the game, and it was largely off the back of these three guys. I also think being at home helped a bit. I think a lot of these guys are always going to be better on their home court, but the Cavaliers were making their shots in game three. They haven't made their shots in games one and two, even when they've got good looks. Well, I really want to talk about Kevin Love, and I really want to talk about your comment on the bench because I think that those two go hand in hand. Absolutely. Before we do that, let's introduce my very favorite sponsor of the show, though, because it's free. It is free. Hey, it's Justin. Want to take a second to talk to you about NBA Highlights. They are our third sponsor for the show. The daily NBA Highlights newsletter delivers you fresh NBA content to your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. exactly. The best part about this, it's completely free. There are no ads, and you never have to worry about any spam. So what you can do is sign up for the newsletter for free at dailynbahighlights.com. If you're not going to remember that webpage, just go to our Facebook page or our social media sites or drivingdishpodcast.com we have it there the newsletter is broken down into a little bit of nba history each day top news stories of the day an in-depth nba player feature nba humor and of course our favorite the nba podcast episodes that have come out they do a recap and highlights of the games the night before when the games are going on again it is a free we can't emphasize this enough it's completely free if you like basketball or want to stay up to date why not sign up for these guys sign up now at daily nba highlights.com so you talk about the bench and if we're looking at game three i want to talk about the starters a little bit the cleveland starters starters scored 105 points versus 57 from the golden state warriors but when you look at the golden state warriors sean livingston still shot again 66 percent against the Cavs. he only took three shots whatever the the warriors bench scored 33 points as opposed to 15 from Cleveland, which is just an unacceptable number. Cleveland's bench has been really bad. Obviously, Kevin Love didn't play because of the concussion protocol. Right. And everybody, all the reports out of Cleveland is that he was fighting hard to play. But again, you just you can't play around with concussions. So shout out to the Cavaliers for not doing the stupid thing. And a lot has been talked about how bad the Cavs bench has been. I think that Kevin Love is a fantastic player. And I think that Kevin Love has been severely misused from the moment he came to this Cleveland team. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's a scapegoat, that he's he's been improperly used, that they've made him a three-point shooter, that they made him a guard. They brought him away from the, the boards, which is one of his, his greatest strengths is his ability to rebound. He really good footwork around the, around the basket. You want to get Kevin Love on the elbow. You want to run some offense to him. None of that is happening. The Cavs bench has been really bad. And now with how good the Cavs starters were without Kevin Love, in the starting lineup. I think the Cavs should really consider bringing Love off the bench, but not just bringing Love off the bench, making sure that the offense is running through Kevin Love on that bench unit with Delhi, with Schumpert, with Mozgov, whoever else is going to be with Channing Fry, 
making sure that Kevin Love is out there, having the offense go through him specifically without LeBron James and without Kyrie Irving on the floor. Well, even when Kevin Love was playing in this series, I think it was pretty clear from the first two games that this is just a horrible matchup. See, Draymond I Green. Even, I think he's just being. I think he's being misused. I don't even think it's a bad matchup. See, I, I think Draymond Green on, on Kevin Love is a horrible matchup because Draymond Green can guard the perimeter and he's one of the best defensive players in the league. And I think he can eat on the other end because I mean, let's just face it, Kevin Love is not a great defender. I think there's no way around that. I I think it's a bad matchup from the get go. I think it it reminds me of we we talked about it last series where Enos Cantor against San Antonio was such a great matchup and he was did so many things for them in that series. And against Golden State, he was limited a bit. And it's not because he's a bad player, and it's not because he doesn't play a role on the team, but it's just a bad matchup. I completely agree that I think Kevin Love needs to go to the bench. I think, but and and to give that second unit a spark because, like you said, that the second unit for the Cavs has given them absolutely nothing. Well, you can't you can't win a final series with your bench scoring fifteen points. Right, and we said it last night; they didn't score till the third quarter. Yeah, how many of those points were garbage time points? So we move on, and just kind of going with that, I, I do agree. I think Kevin Love has got to come off the bench. I don't. I think they're kind of on to something with the more defensive oriented starting lineup. I don't think this should be a knock on Kevin Love, the player. I think Kevin Love is still really good, and I, I think he's got an incredible amount of unfair criticism from the media throughout this entire time in Cleveland from basketball, Twitter, from everybody out there, I think has really hammered Kevin Love. And I think it's almost Kevin Love is so like I think Kevin Love was a bit overrated at one point, but now I think he's just undeniably hugely underrated. And I think that but I think just the matchups sometimes aren't right. And I, I think you gotta bring Kevin Love off the bench. It's not there. You're not gonna be able to run defensive oriented lineups with Kevin Love at the five. You don't really want to put him out at the four. You want LeBron on Draymond Green. That clearly to me worked in game three. So I think you ride that until the Warriors make adjustments and you have to adjust. But I think Kevin Love can be a spark off that bench, but I don't think he's going to play starters minutes. I don't really want to play Kevin Love all these minutes if I'm looking at that success that I have in game three. I mean, I agree with you to an extent. Kevin Love shouldn't be playing 35 minutes a game in the series. But I think that if you put him out there on the on the bench and you have him going against Maurice Spates and, and Festus Azili and, and those kind of guys, and that if you're running the offense through him, that he could really help their second unit. And I was thinking back to when... Kevin Love was so effective with the Timberwolves and obviously those those weren't playoff games but he was a really really great power forward one of the top power forwards in the league for sure and a lot of that had to do with Ricky Rubio and mm-hmm. Kevin Love is just a much better player when he's playing with with a point guard with a real point guard not not a scoring first point guard like Kyrie Irving and that you put Kevin Love out there with Delhi and Delhi is a better floor general than Kyrie because Delhi's not a score first kind of guy and you you give Kevin Love 20 minutes and you that also gives you an, a chance to rest you know LeBron and Kyrie a bit more mm-hmm. but I think that when we're going to the offseason that the broader point I'm trying to make here is that if the Cavs don't win the title something's going to change and I think that it is a bad decision for that change to be Kevin Love and not to be Kyrie Irving oh I see I just I don't know I think when Kyrie Irving is on, and I think that, I think if you can trade Kevin Love and go to lineups where you have kind of a defensive oriented five, a guy like Tristan, 
and then have LeBron play in the four. Tristan's been a problem too. Tristan's been a problem too, and, but and I think part it, of the problem with Tristan is that he can't leave the baskets. So we were just talking about putting Tristan underneath the basket, right? Because it's the only place. Right, he can but score. and that's why I'm and saying so that's the thing is that when Tristan's there, so is his defender. Right. When but, Tristan's not there, you put Tristan at the elbow, his defender's still at the basket. But I'm saying put LeBron at the four and put three shooters out there. Put three shooters out there and just have them bomb away because then you have to respect LeBron's passing. If you can, if you can deny him in the paint, and I agree that's an issue, but I I say all the time that LeBron James' best skill is not his scoring; it's his passing. It's been from day one. LeBron James can put the ball where other players can't, and I think that can open up for the shooters. I think they can have success with that kind of lineup, and that's why I think it can work. I'm not saying trade Kevin Love either, because I, I just think you don't trade valuable chips like that without having, and especially now the way the league seems to be low on him I don't think you'll get the value back that you really should for Kevin Love but I think that some kind of change is going to be made and they're going to have to do something if they if you know at the end of the day the window isn't as big on this Cleveland team as it is on some of these other contenders yeah I just think and ask Oklahoma City about how hard it is to get back to the finals no I mean for sure and and how hard it is to, to fill that that position but I think if they can if they could go out and Cleveland could get a Mike Conley for example, if, if Cleveland could, I don't even know how much I agree with this statement I'm about to say, but uh, a Rondo, if they if they could get somebody out there like that, that could maybe Rondo with a shot anyway, that they could utilize Kevin Love and they can they can get a player that makes other players on the team better. I feel like that would be better served than having Kyrie. I don't think the Cavs are ever going to win a finals with Kyrie as their starting point guard. I just don't. I don't, but I feel like you can win a finals with Kevin Love as your starting power forward. I don't think you can win a finals with Kevin Love being your best player on your team. No. But I just don't I, – I don't – I haven't seen from Kyrie that he's ready for the moment. See, I thought we – I thought absolutely was a ready-for-the-moment game last night. And I'm hoping we see more of that in these last few games. Because I agree, the first two games, he was struggling a bit, and he wasn't there. But I th- last night, he was great. I mean, I mean that is more talking Kyrie through the through the course of the playoffs in general, not just this series. Like I've never seen a Kyrie that really impressed me, and so I was going back and I was looking back at his uh, his advanced stats on on Basketball Reference the other day, and they're basically the same from the time that he was a uh, a, a rookie in the league. He's not he hasn't improved. The guy hasn't gotten any better statistically. Like all all his advanced stats show it. Uh, if anything, he's he's drawing free throws at a. a a less frequent rate than he used to a little over 21 percent when he used to be around 27 percent yeah but i also think how young is he yeah but you want to see improvement and he well, hasn't improved but he's his not numbers, his... his numbers are literally the same as his rookie right year. but i'm saying he's not even close to his prime he's 23 yeah but don't you want to see some improvement in sure but he's already this great uh, you know if it's 27 and he's still at the same numbers and hasn't gotten any better then i'll be a little worried but i'm not going to pass judgment fully on a 23 year old see i want to see improvement through through years in a league and you, you talk about ceiling a lot and i've kind of had this debate with you before about about ceiling and that you're like, this guy has a better ceiling when you aren't seeing the improvement. But I'm looking at other players, and I'll throw out the example of Evan Fournier, who you see um, a statistical improvement every year. And to me, when I see that, to me, that player has a higher ceiling than somebody who isn't improving. No, but, Ky- but, Evan, but Kyrie Irving can just unnaturally do more without improvement than Evan Fournier can. Evan Fournier's ceiling would maybe be best-case scenario Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving already is that. I mean, I'm not comparing those two players. I do think Kyrie Irving's a much better player than Evan Fournier. I, I think the actual debate was between Evan Fournier and Bradley Beal. 
that we were having. But and that's much and but, but you know, the, but that's the, much more realistic. Right, but the the point is, if you aren't seeing improvement over four or five years in the league, then you're you look at a player where in the East, number one overall pick, a great talent. But it's not. It never translated into wins. I just he's twenty three. I'm just. I'm. I can't pass judgment on a prospect that's that young. He's been in the league a while. And how sure, come you pass it on Ja? How come I pass? I don't pass it on Ja. I think Ja can be great, but I think in our, in situationally on the Sixers, I don't think Ja fits. That's why I want to trade him. It's more of a situationally thing. If it, if this was any other circumstance, I wouldn't be advocating for tra- trading Ja. I think he has flaws that aren't going to get better. I think Kyrie Irving has flaws that are are not going to get better. But I think that it's just more of again with Embiid, with Nerlens, with Ja, you got to go with one of them. And I think with what we're trying to do, and I think with what the league does as a whole, I think Ja is the most expendable. Do you think that the Cavs would be better if they had Mike Conley? No, I don't. Really? No, I don't. And I like Mike Conley's game a lot, but I I really talk about a defensive. The defense is what's going to be the Warriors. Why do you not think the Cavs? Because I think Kyrie Irving is more consistent with the shot. And that's Do why. You? And I think his three-point range is better than Conley's, and I think that's going to help out when you're playing with LeBron. I think Conley would have a ton of success there, and I think they would be better on the defensive end. But they also got to get buckets too. They can't, you know, the problem with Memphis is they can never score. I think with you know they can have this defensive-oriented lineup, and it will be great. But at the end of the day, Kyrie Irving is a guy that you need his points if you're going to win games too. I don't think Mike Conley is going to score 30 points or have the threat to score 30 points on an in-and-out night. I think Kyrie Irving could. But if Mike Conley isn't scoring, he's still providing defense. He's still providing assists. He's making the players around him better. If Kyrie Irving isn't scoring, he's not providing it. No, but when Kyrie's on, he is though a bit. I think he's been better. I think in Game Three, he I thought Kyrie Irving played really good defense oh, was, on Steph uh, I mean, Curry. Game Three was probably the best game I've ever seen him play in the postseason. That's a really small sample size. He definitely was better, but that's one game. But where I think- I've seen Mike Conley consistently be good. And yet, he didn't have the talent around him. But again, this isn't tennis. This is basketball. This is team sport. He didn't have the talent around him. I think if you were to surround Mike Conley with better talent, that they would be a better team than with Kyrie Irving. I mean, where would Memphis have been with Kyrie Irving at the helm? Like, how far would they have gone? I don't even know. Probably as far as they did. I I just, I I can't agree with you, man. I think that that Mike Conley would serve the, and you talk about a small window, and how long are you going to give Kyrie, or how long are you going to give this window for Kyrie Irving to improve, improve into a player that's better for the team? What made Kyrie Irving so good in this game to me wasn't his scoring. It was the fact that he had eight assists. Right. And if we could get that those eight assists out of Kyrie Irving every single game, I would stop harping on the kid. In a second, it, it, it doesn't bother me so much that the guy doesn't play defense because I think point guard defense is a bit overrated anyway. What bothers me is how little he makes the players around him better in last night or I'm sorry, game three, he did that. Yeah. And well, and that's my thing is I, I think he still has plenty of potential to get the players more involved. I think last night was probably a wake up call in the vacuum of this series. And I think over the years, you, I think he has the potential to get players more involved. I, I just think that can be, it's something he can pick up. I think we know what Mike Conley is at this point. I guess in terms of a franchise, I'm looking at Kyrie Irving because he can be so much more and he's younger. In terms of the Cavs, I don't think Conley's going to add anything. I mean, yeah, the defense will go up, but the offense will go down. So you give some, you take some. So it's just either way, I think they'd be where they are now. They're both competent point guards. 
this has to be really good news for Kings fans is that DeMarcus Cousins and Dave Yeager, a video surface of them um, hitting the driving range together. That's good. As, of, as we're with George Carl, DeMarcus Cousins would quickly find the nearest exit. Dave Yeager's a good coach, though. I think they'll get along. I think he can get a lot out of DeMarcus Cousins, which if you're Kings fans, you have to be pretty enthused about. It's not like coaches haven't done it before. You have to find the right one. So last week on the show, we had somebody that left us a review, and uh, he actually commented on a Facebook post. Um, and I want to talk a, a little bit about what he commented on. Uh, it was by Mark Jose. And so I asked him, he told me that uh, commenting on our Facebook post that he was a Kings fan. So I asked him because we don't really get to meet a lot of Kings fans in, in Jacksonville, Florida. All, all we really have are, you know, what we see on the court and what we read right. um, by the analysts and everything. And I asked him, should the Kings trade Cousins? Because as a fan, what is what is your opinion of this? And uh, Mark said on the Facebook page, he said that DeMarcus Cousins is too good of a player to trade away. While he is far from perfect, most of the negative media, most of the negative media around him is blown up. This time January, when he was an absolute monster, nobody was complaining. We're a small market. Our only hope at a superstar is through the draft. He's it for better or for worse, and you can do a lot worse than a player that led the NBA in centers and scoring and steals, a league leader in rebounds and free throws made. Oh, yeah, and he has a jump shot and he can pass. Plus, he's loyal to the city, even though people want to talk trash about him. Every franchise wants to talk about being the Spurs until it comes to actually playing the long game and giving your guys a chance through the good times and the bad. And I took that a little bit to heart, and I thought about it, and it, I was thinking we've had a lot of, of talk about should the Kings trade DeMarcus Cousins. And I think Mark was right. I think if you're the Kings and you're talking about trading DeMarcus Cousins, that you don't do it unless it's for a number one pick. Yeah, no, I've firmly been in the don't trade DeMarcus Cousins under any circumstance camp. I just don't Even think Even a you, number one pick? Maybe in the right draft you could convince me, but it would have to be something outrageous like that. I just don't think you give up players of that caliber. We know DeMarcus Cousins is great. He's one of the best centers in the league. What was he, all second team this year? He arguably could have been first. In my opinion, he was good enough to be first. You just don't trade talent of that caliber to me. All right, so Paul Pierce is waiting a few more weeks to decide whether or not he is going to decline his 2016-2017 option and retire. I'm honestly surprised Paul Pierce hasn't retired. I thought he was going to retire about three or four seasons ago. That dude is still chugging along. I think, I mean, I don't know. The Clippers could maybe go on a run next year. You, ne you never know. I don't, you know. They've kind of gotten lost in the sauce with all these other Western Conference teams. But if the, if you view the Clippers as a contender and you want to give it one more go, I could see Paul Pierce playing. I, I just think the dude's too competitive. All right, so let's do some random player. You know what they say. The more you know, the more you know you don't know. Want to know a little secret about education? It'll improve your sex life. It's Random NBA Player Highlights on the Drive a Dish Podcast. This week on Random NBA Player, we want to talk about Sean Lester Rooks. Rooks played in the National Basketball Association from 1992 to 2004 and was an assistant for player development for the Philadelphia 76ers until he passed away at the age of 46 this past week, June 7th. He played college basketball for the Arizona Wildcats. Tim would be happy. In his senior year, he earned an all-conference honor in the Pac-12, which was back then known as the Pac-10. 
again. His NBA career started by being drafted by the Dallas Mavericks in the second round, 30th overall. He started his rookie season for the Mavs, but then after that bounced around to many other teams in the NBA, including the Timberwolves, Hawks, Lakers, Clippers, Hornets, which were in New Orleans at the time, and the Magic. He ended his career with 467 points, that's six points per game, rebounds 2,877, about four per game, and blocks at 499, that's a little less than one per game. After retiring, Rooks moved into a coaching role and served as an assistant coach in the NBA Development League for the Bakersfield Jam from 2007 to 2008, the New Mexico Thunderbirds from 2010 to 2011, and then joined the Sky Force in 2012. After that, he joined the Phoenix Suns player development staff, where he then resigned in 2013 to take a coaching position overseas. He then left that job for an assistant coaching position with the Philadelphia 76ers. Gone too soon at the age of 46, we bring you Sean Lester Rooks. And so this week's episode is brought to you by none other than Loot Crate. Loot Crate is this really rad service. What they are is it's a monthly subscription at lootcrate.com slash drive and dish. Basically what Loot Crate is, is it's a monthly service. It's a monthly subscription. And I subscribe to a couple things like this. It's a lot of fun because you end up getting a present in the mail every month. And I don't know about you, but I don't get a lot of presents. So it's nice whenever it comes to open up the box and see what's in it. Loot Crate is for... Geeks, nerds, comic book lovers, pop culture aficionados. Every month you get a different box that has a different theme. And this month's theme is Dystopia. You're going to get gear from Matrix, Robocop, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, one of my all-time favorite movies, Bioshock, Fallout, among others. It's a mystery box. It's full of collectibles. There's a t-shirt in every box. There's figurines, apparel, memorabilia. And each box is at least a $45 value, even though it's only 20 bucks a month. And our listeners, if you want to sign up for this, you get three bucks off your monthly subscription. That's right around 10% for you. So it basically takes care of the tax. And each crate has a theme centered around major franchises, theatrical releases, events. If you support the show and this kind of thing sounds fun to you because it sounds a lot of fun to me, sign up for it. You support the show, go to lootcrate.com slash drive and dish. Put in the promo code drive and dish and you'll get three bucks off your monthly subscription. And if you forgot that, just go to driveanddish.com, click on the sponsors tab and we have all the information right there sign up for loot crate if you do let us know we'll give you a shout out on the show and uh last thing is that brandon ingram he is scheduled for the thursday workout with the lakers i don't know about you but i've been looking at the adjusted adjusted leaderboards and i've seen some fluctuation between three through six and that seems to, to keep changing yeah but i haven't seen any fluctuation between one and two everybody as Simmons one, Ingram two. Yeah, that became a, a kind of a, uh, a a thing really quickly. I think that was a debate at one point. It was a pretty hotly contested debate, including by myself. I still think Brandon Ingram is going to be great. I could talk myself into taking Brandon Ingram number one easily. But regardless of what we think about it, I think it's pretty clear that Ben Simmons is going one at this point, and Brandon Ingram should definitely be the clear second. I think he's, if not the best player in the draft, the second best player in the draft. Three to six is definitely up there. It's in. None of these guys in three to six really jump off the page more than the other guys. So you got Dragon Bender, you got Jamal Murray, you got Chris Dunn, you got a few other guys that are rising up the ranks real quick. And so, you you know, but none of these guys are, we've been talking about this, that this was kind of a two-player draft for a while. We've been talking about Simmons and Ingram. We know they're going to go one and two. They're clearly better than everyone else. But that three to six, there's just not that drastic talent differential. 
I mean, even last year, like you knew that, for example, that Okafor and Porzingis and I don't think anybody really thought Porzingis was going as high as he did. No, but I thought no, I I don't think it was. I think Porzingis people would go Porzingis going as high as two at one point. I mean, he jumped up quick. I think people knew that Porzingis and Okafor, for example, and he, and maybe Hazonia to an extent were better prospects than like a Willie Cauley Stein or a uh, Frank Kaminsky or a Justice Winslow or a Devin Booker or some of these Kaminsky other guys. Pick, man, I got to tell you, we saw him in Summer League. I'm so excited to go back down there with you guys again this year to cover it. Yeah, it's less than a month. Uh, that Frank Kaminsky pick, I, I said it then and I, I, I stay saying it, man. Uh, they could have done a lot better. Well, in my mock, I had Devin Booker going there. And I that's mean, why I was so like... Just like even the Celtics. What did they offer him? Like five first rounders or something? Yeah, the it? Celtics are really high on Justice Winslow. I mean, you had Justice Winslow, I thought was the clear pick there. They didn't take him. I um, mean, I just, I don't, I still don't get the Frank Kaminsky pick. I just like, I'm not even low on him. I just, I just, I'm not high. On I don't him. get why when the Celtics offered you that many draft picks that you didn't take it for, for Frank, Frank Kaminsky. Right. Like, right. If, if it's a guy, and again, I think Frank Kaminsky can be a good NBA player. He's not going to be four picks good. No, I mean, I don't, I don't even think he's top 10 good though. That's the, from that draft last year. No, I don't think he's top 10. Yeah, no, there were, um, you know, and then Frank Kaminsky, the problem with him is, is sort of the, the jaw problem where he can't guard fours and you know, he's not, he's not the best at guarding fives either. He doesn't really have the size. Yeah. So it's a, the tweeners are great, but in the NBA, I think you classify somebody as what position they guard, not necessarily what position they play. Yeah. And so it's going to be, in, you know, if, you, if you're looking at the Hornets, at Zeller, who had a really good year. And the Hornets have a really interesting offseason, too. You know, Jeremy Lin, who opted out of his contract, they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with um, Al Jefferson. But Jeremy Lin's really interesting, Kevin. So I've heard a lot of rumors that the Sixers are going to go ahead and offer Jeremy Lin a max two-year contract. The, what do you think? I don't think they will. I, I thought that, and it makes sense. Like, it fits on paper. I could see them doing that. But I really still think they're going to draft a point guard. I, I Where think are they going to draft a point guard? I think they're going to – well, they have two other picks in the first round that they could get somebody if need be. But I'm just – I'm one of the big men is getting traded. And so whether I think that they go out and trade him for somebody, which I hope they don't make that mistake – by the way, I want to talk about something that Jeff Teague did today in a second that was really kind of interesting. Um, and then, or they go out, or, or they trade somebody for a draft pick, and they draft a guy like Jamal Murray, who, by the way, John Calipari says should go number one, which Calipari, great coach, Jamal Murray is not going number one. He shouldn't go number one. Would you trade Ja for Jordan Clarkson? No. No? No. I don't think Clarkson is a, is a good enough shooter for me to want to trade Jaw straight up for him. I think Jaw has a lot more potential than Jordan Clarkson does. Even with trying to get rid of the fit, I don't think you sell low. Jaw still in, has a ton of upside. See, I'm all in on Jordan Clarkson. I think Jordan Clarkson is a fantastic Yeah, player. you love Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. You've been on him for like two years yeah, now. Yeah, Every time anything Lakers comes up, you always make a point to go out of the way to mention Jordan Clarkson. I do. I think in Jordan Clarkson's offseason is going to be really interesting too. So uh, what did, uh, what did oh, Teague Oh, Jeff do? Teague. So he Instagrammed. Uh, basically a, a picture of like patella tendon surgery yeah and then deleted it really quickly yeah yeah he he, he um revealed that he played with uh he's playing with injury all year yeah so it's like it's just kind of suspicious that it just leaked now and then he deleted it quickly like if off-season maintenance surgery happens all the time like the hawks are out of the playoffs 
I know there are worries about trade value and stuff, but what, like, why put it up if you're worried about hurting your trade value? Did you, it's just I, weird. I mean, I get, I guess it is weird. It's, it's, uh, we see NBA players post stuff and take it down all the time. But that's usually something inappropriate, right. not a knee surgery. <laughs> At least this wasn't inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. He didn't get caught sliding in somebody's DMs. Mm. Somebody said, uh, I, I don't think it was Zach Harper, but somebody on Twitter said that game three should be called the pipe game. Why, why is that? Because you respect, dude, the infamous DM. Come on, you don't know that? Uh, what is it? Oh, you don't Oh, where, where he slid into some girl's Insta. Uh, yeah, you trying to get said, the pipe? Yeah. Oh, dude, that's legendary. You need to imprint that on your mind. Oh, uh, man. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Driving Dish NBA podcast. We really appreciate you guys, as always. Make sure you check out our website, drivingdishpodcast.com, and check out the Sponsors tab there. For sure, you can find all of our great sponsors throughout the show. That We want to shout out to a number of you guys. Shout out to the good folks of Blog Talk Radio for hosting the show, as always. You can find all of our episodes at our website, drivingdishpodcast.com. If you're an Apple user, we are on iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we're on all sorts of other podcast devices, Stitcher, player fm tune in make sure you check us out if you're using an android or a windows or some other type of phone that's out there kevin you gotta stop saying that man nobody nobody uses a windows phone no there's, there's, there's literally like not people. there's not one pe person that there's uses. four there, there might be four uh -huh. okay so here's the thing if you if you follow us on facebook and you should um at, at driving dish podcast is that go on our facebook page and like a couple of posts because facebook does this really annoying thing to where if you haven't liked a post in a while of a page that you like that they won't show you any of the things we post. And we make a point of putting up at least one post a day. Well, usually just one a day. We make a point of just doing one a day of something basketball related, uh, whether that be breaking news or just be one of the episodes that we posted, whatever it is. So right now, you're sitting at your computer, you're sitting on your phone, go to our Facebook page and like a couple of the different posts there. That way, when we do put something up, we'll show up on your timeline and you can interact a bit with us so we can give you a shout out on the show. Absolutely. I think we've done enough dancing for today. So why don't we dance Wednesday? Be a star side. Okay, well, I'm out of here. Get in the hole. Hey. Hey. Let's go while we're young. All right, all right. I think they get the point. <laughs> <laughs>
It's fall. The geese are headed south, and it's time for you to hit the woods. So button things up, find where they hide, and pattern the deer you seek. Come into Cabela's Great Outdoor Days and save over 20% on Herder's Select Grade Handgun Ammo. Save $180 after mail-in rebate on Walther PPS M2 pistols with instant savings of $80. And get a Vortex Diamondback 3.5 to 10 by 50 V-Plex rifle scope, just $149.99. Shop in-store and at cabelas.com. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.